Broadcasting worldwide in complete defiance of the U.S. Patriot Act and the NDAA. This is the Truth Frequency Radio Network. Greetings and welcome to Real Politic. This is James Tracy. The mass shooter phenomenon is something we witness almost on a daily basis via the news media today. I've written a good deal about this, as has our guest today, Sean Helton. Sean is an editor and contributor over a 21st Century Wire, where he works alongside Patrick Henningsen. They put together and uh, put out some great material. They also have a weekly program that uh, airs for three hours on Sundays called Sunday Wire. You can find out more over at 21stCenturyWire.com. That's 2-1-S-T-C-E-N-T-U-R-Y-W-I-R-E.com. Welcome, Sean. Hi, thanks for having me, James. I appreciate it. Well, I'm very happy to have you on the program. We certainly share some similar background and interest in terms of writing. Um, what is Absolutely. your? I just wanted to um, begin by discussing your background in alternative media and journalism and kind of what brought you to this. Not necessarily the subject matter specifically, but more broadly. Sure. I think it was um, it was sort of, sort of a slow progression. Uh, it was. Uh, I lived in Washington D.C. for many years. I was born there, actually, and um, when I was living there, uh, you know, obviously I was there during 9/11 and after 9/11, and uh, you know, as much of us have sort of been, I would think that that was a pretty big catalyst and in, in sort of a an emerging uh, awakeness to some of these uh, major phenomenons that have sort of happened over the past last decade or more now. Uh, you know, as they evolved into the mass shooting events and mass casualty events and things of that nature, that was probably the single event because I, I lived basically ten minutes away from the Pentagon at the time. Uh, it took me many years to sort of really understand what was going on. Probably took another five to six years before I really started digging into some stuff. And then the financial collapse happened and that I started really studying uh, some of the financial things that were happening and that sort of led to the sort of going back and sort of reinvestigating things like Oklahoma City bombing, 9-11, some of these mass shootings and that sort of thing. And uh, looking at alternative news websites and things like that, this is something that uh, you, you began doing over the past decade or 15 years since uh, 2001? Yeah, I'd say probably I started looking at alternative news because I actually didn't know of any alternative news until about the 2007, 2008. Uh, I started to, to look into it right after the collapse there and, um, you know, really didn't have much of a background on that information at all. I, I'd maybe heard of some people. I'd heard of Alex Jones. I'd heard of Bill Cooper. But I really didn't know too much about that entire spectrum of, of alternative media. And now, tell us a bit about 21st Century Wire. I think probably a good many of our listeners are aware of that already. I've featured uh, Patrick on a program previously here on this program here on Truth mm -hmm. Frequency Radio and uh, one of our conversations uh, from Sunday Wire a few months back. But um, tell us a bit about uh, 21st Century Wire as well as your involvement and your activities there. Sure. 
Um, well, you know, I think what we try to do is similar in a way to what you try to do with your, your site. And, and uh, you know, you're very well-researched, very well-organized. We, we try to delve into these issues uh, as responsibly as possible and um, not really uh, overly sensationalize some of these types of things. Now, it's okay to have an interesting or, or catchy headline, I think, sometimes, but when it comes to the nuts and bolts of actually breaking down these events, um, we take it very seriously. And I think actually if, in fact, there were people to die at an event, I think the best thing to do would actually to be able to uh, investigate and give a proper investigation to into those deaths or into the, an event, if, even if it was real. To find out what actually took place rather than uh, simply – you know, poke fun or, you know, we were talking about this kind of in in our discussion earlier on before we began recording about mm -hmm. how there are some uh, alternative commentators, news media uh, that um, that do attempt to assess these events, and yet they could do so in a much more sober way. Yeah, so that's sort of kind of uh, I, I, you know, I, I see some some interesting reports out there on YouTube and and sort of that sort of sensation to get the first YouTube video up to sort of debunk some sort of uh, happening or mass casualty event of some sort, and I think there's sort of a race to the sort of click phenomena and in terms of getting uh, readership or viewership on some websites they're more concerned with that aspect than actually probably giving a very articulate uh, and very thorough researched uh, report in terms of you know honoring the public's interest and that's always our concern at 21 wire and that's my concern that's Patrick's concern for sure we do take this stuff uh, from a humanitarian angle we actually really do care about this stuff and this information being reported properly so for us and the kind of stuff that I do you know we we all kind of pitch in but I'm an associate editor there and as uh, we have several great writers it's sort of a small skeleton crew of us but basically we just sort of feed off of each other in a positive way. As, as one is working on one aspect, we might shift from overseas stuff to domestic stuff and vice versa. So we try to try to see and, and see the pulse of what every reporter is doing and kind of do something slightly different for maybe a week or, you know, uh, brief stretches at a time. And now you also have your material picked up by other alternative news outlets. Is that something that you depend on to a certain degree in order to, to get the word out there? To get the uh, it certainly helps. I mean, you know, I think uh, I, I feel like probably most people, especially if they're doing really good reports, they really would hope that others that are also doing responsible reporting uh, to pick some of that stuff up. And uh, we, we certainly appreciate when people republish, and um, we're very grateful when people do that. Um, you know, I think we have a fair amount of uh, readership already, but uh, it's always growing, and we can always use more people to take a look at those reports. And for us, it's just a passion of getting you know, closer or as close as possible to the truth of, of some of these issues. Let's uh, discuss some of these shootings in particular. You've done a great deal of work most recently uh, on the uh, Oregon Umpqua Community College shooting that took place in early October. 
of 2015. You had a, a fairly lengthy, detailed piece on 21st Century YR, really picking that uh, that particular event apart and uh, pointing to a lot of the anomalies that uh, were reported very early on in the reporting over the per- first several hours and uh and and what some of the problems were with with that yeah i mean i think uh you you captured it i think when you picked up part of uh part of the article i think that i had written and uh in that quote was basically how several news agencies had reported that uh you know initially it was almost i think a, a, you know three dozen were injured or a, you know two dozen were injured and it was Maybe 20 were shot, then it became 10, then it was 15, then it was 13, then it was, you know, then eventually 10 again or something. I, I'm just sort of paraphrasing it, but basically it was all over the map in terms of the amount of people who died or victims that were had, had been there. And I think that was something that uh, I found really enlightening about your your report most recently this week where you delved into some of those um, older stories and just how amazingly accurate the local reporting was. I mean, they were talking about where uh, bullet fragments were landing and things of that nature. And uh, I mean, you just don't see that in mainstream reporting anymore. And I think that's a huge problem. Well, I think that in part has to do with the fact that the crime scene was somewhat more open. It was more readily reported on and commented on. And uh, as I attempted to point out in the uh, that particular article, when mass shootings were real, I, I used that title to emphasize the fact that the reporting itself was much more immediate. It was in many, many ways more accurate. The information itself was unwavering. And crucially, this was done before you had federal agencies that were so mm-hmm. extensively involved as they are now. Uh, in many of these events. So I'm wondering what's going on behind the scenes. You have the heads of these various agencies quarreling about what the the main storyline is going to be. So with, for example, Sandy Hook, is it going to be handguns that were used or is it going to be the, you know, semi-automatic rifles, the long guns uh, right. that, that were used? And and you see this also in just about all of these events. It's uncanny. So when we look at historical events such as the UT Austin shooting of 1966 which which was one of the first major shootings mass shootings in the recent era uh, or even lesser known ones such as the one at the University of Iowa which is and I went to grad school at, at U of Iowa so I I knew that I knew that building which was next door to where my uh, mm-hmm. my uh, department actually was at the at the time where that shooting took place I knew the the woman who was involved in uh, the public relations and Rhodes because I was involved in campus activism and she was one of the women that one of the campus officials that frequently had to, had to deal with myself and a few other you know, <laughs> handful of kind of uh, I guess uh, uh, uppity uh, graduate students and uh, and activists anyway um, so a bit of a motley crew huh yeah but <laughs> getting back to, to to these situations you simply had say with the Iowa shooting or uh, with the uh, the shooting that took place in Stockton that I also discussed in the uh, uh, in the article, you have the local officials 
uh, you have uh, the you know, local emergency response uh, officials, what have you. In, in the case of Iowa, it was public safety. It was the uh, Iowa City Police. It was the sheriff. It was the district attorney. Uh, it was the university spokespeople, just a handful of them. And that was it. And you had a much more clear-cut uh, uh, perspective of what was going on before the Internet when reporters at that time had to rely on telephone and facsimile uh, than we have today, and we've got all of this stuff at our fingertips. Reporters have all this material, right? I mean, all these techniques, I should say, uh, in terms of social media, and uh, and yet we know far less of what's going on. So there's a real there's a real problem here. Yeah, you know, you just reminded me with that that segment there. It reminded me of. Um the Ottawa shooting. I covered that also last year. I think it was October of last of 2014, at the end of October. And in that particular shooting, I was able to uh, di diagnose it pretty quickly. But um, I actually happened upon a small transcript report on CNN with a a Reuters reporter by the name of Peter Henderson who had reported that there was an active or I'm sorry there was a massive a mass drill basically taking place in Ottawa that day uh, and he also was uh, supposedly one of the first witnesses to uh, one of the first victims that was shot near um, a memorial there and I found that really kind of interesting so I dug a little bit further and you know found that that to be true and you know, then I started to see that there was actually some mass drills that had taken place. So I put that in my report, and I also used his his actual quote where he said that in the CNN transcript. Well, surprisingly, I actually never, you know, it's amazing how many people maybe find these reports or read them, but he actually started commenting on the comment section and was irate with me about reporting that, but then he never retracted his statements. He said that they may have taken him slightly out of context, and that sort of nature. But then he started to get really vitriolic and actually started just, you know, pushing a bunch of profanity on the, on the uh, comment section. And I thought it was kind of interesting. Somebody who uh, is working for a distinguished organization, news organization, is presenting themselves that way after a major event. And as someone is posing questions in an article, the same thing that they should be doing themselves, I found it interesting that he took a chance to try to slight us for us basically doing a better job reporting the events. But you you were simply repeating some quotes that he had made in another outlet? Uh, yeah, exactly, with CNN. I actually uh, had the link and everything. And it doesn't. he doesn't really have an argument, then, I would argue. Why would it be that he is uh, coming after an alternative outlet rather than CNN specifically? That's what I posed to him. I actually said that in the comment section. I said, Wh whatever issue you may have or grievance you may have, you should take it up with CNN if they if they got it wrong in terms of the reporting. And so he just continued on. It was just a kind of an amazing uh, uh, little segment there between the two of us debating back and forth. But my, my personal belief was I, I was always very respectful to him. And for me, it, it's always important to be that way because – uh, regardless if these people and uh, uh, other news agencies and things like that are, are upset with some of the stuff that we're doing in alternative media, I always want to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they just aren't looking at all the details as we are, and, and maybe that's part of it. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing here was 
he never actually retracted what he said. He never fully retracted it. And I found it kind of interesting that, um, uh, you know, he said he just sort of, he was uh, he was you know, misinformed about what was going on that day or whatever. And I thought that, you know, for me, I just thought that kind of, just from the perspective of you have a major event and you start to diagnose all of the different things and extrapolate all the really crucial details, as you noted earlier in the program, you know, certain things in terms of how many victims were shot and how many, uh, you know, bullet fragments and things of that nature. And those are, those are such crucial details. And as we start to peel those layers away and get into sort of active shooting drills, mass, ca mass casualty events, emergency medical protocols, uh, some of these types of things, interagency fusion stuff that, you know, is such a critical role in stealing, steering the public. Uh, you know, I, I found it very interesting that uh, he was taking issue with my report, which was basically, um, you know, just analyzing all that stuff. I do what you you do in a sense. I mean, we we. T you know, I try to riff off of other people I think are, are also great, and I think you do a great job of covering this kind of information. I know Patrick appreciates it, and he does a great job covering this kind of information. So people like you guys inspire me to try to cover this stuff uh, with the utmost uh, uh, respect and um, interest in detail. Well, thank you uh, for those kind words. But you said that this individual, I'm intrigued that uh, he would behave in such a way unless perhaps he is carrying out some other sort of agenda, is attempting to give you a hard time because you aren't towing the official line. Uh, you're questioning that. You're questioning the event, what took place in the Ottawa shooting. Right. And I said that uh, if there were people that died, obviously, um, you know, that's that's a sad scenario and I, I and I said something to that effect in the comment section I said but you know and I, to me it's very important that whether these people are dying in these events or not um, you know I think it's just as after 9-11 we couldn't question anything it was like as if you know somehow you're questioning the event itself it doesn't mean that people didn't die or did die and if they didn't then let's look at that but but here's the issue either way if you're taking a responsible angle, as you do, as others do, and myself, I try to do as best I can, I think we try to look at those types of details. And uh, the best way to honor those victims, if in fact they did die, would be to actually give a proper investigation. Absolutely. I had a very similar situation uh, concerning the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm. Uh, there was an individual by the name of Ben Thorndike who uh, worked in the financial industry, and he was one of two individuals that took a series of photographs of the bombing or the bombing event, mm -hmm. <laughs> the pyrotechnic mm -hmm. effect, um, that took place at the time, at that specific time, on April 15th of 2013. And I used a handful of those photographs in a couple of articles that I published, uh, you know, a week or two after the event on my site, and they also went up over at Global Research. Well, this individual contacted me months later. I mean, it was six or eight months later uh, via email, first at my university, my .edu email address. Mm. And then I steered him over to my personal email because I simply uh, like to discuss matters involving the blog and things like that on the personal email for a sure. variety of of reasons, but for one, they're not public records. <laughs> but mm -hmm. anyway, um, this individual was similarly irate 
very upset, uh, concerned that I did not contact him to get his perspective on the photographs, uh, to get his views. He mm. was really towing the official line. How mm -hmm. dare you question this event? I know people that were affected and so on and so forth. And in addition, and at some point uh, during our exchange, he would actually begin typing in all caps Right, uh, very assertive. Uh, I'm not sure if that's even the correct correct word, uh, but uh, over the top perhaps is is more appropriate. And then he wanted to talk on the telephone, and uh, so mm -hmm. I, uh, I he gave me his number, and I attempted to call, and I couldn't get through. And I said to be happy to speak with you about this if you wish. And he eventually came back and said, I don't think I want to talk on the phone after all. So I'm wondering, is is this person even who he says he is, perhaps? Or is he someone who's assuming that identity uh, if he did not want to talk on the phone after all of what we had gone through via email? But I bring that up because I think it is somewhat analogous to your situation, to what you're describing concerning this individual in the Ottawa shooting that you quoted and uh, who took such a hard line with you. Are these individuals themselves who they say they are? If they are, are they carrying out, uh, you know, some sorts of instructions that they're being told to carry out on the behalf yeah, of other you know, parties? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I thought the same thing. I wondered if it was real or if it was a sock puppet type scenario yeah. or, you know, something of that, that nature. It's difficult to say. It seemed as though... Um, uh, when I in our correspondence back and forth in the comment section, I made sure to uh, to include his bio. I actually found it and found all the information about him and just kind of, you know, put it out there in the comment section because I wanted to make sure that in fact, if this person, whoever this person is, if they are actually claiming who they are, um, you know, not that that would necessarily make it uh, that he wouldn't admit or admit. I mean, those are answers I guess we will never really get the full answer on, but I did find it interesting that uh, he quickly had to play damage control. Regardless of whether he was real or not, uh, someone was playing damage control with that story, and that was more the interesting part of that whole scenario. So, uh, Sean Helton, in your view, why do you think that the mainstream media outlets, mainstream news outlets, actually do cover these mass shooting events and similar types of uh, of tragic events in the way that they do uh, without actually taking a more critical perspective and questioning the pronouncements of law enforcement and you know the official narrative and the like yeah I think from my perspective I always think of it as you know they're, they're sort of working hand in hand at the state and its media partners are sort of implementing basic neuro-linguistic programming uh, which acts as a central component to the mass psychological operation that happens after or during a particular mass event and at the same time we're sort of injected with uh, militarized language and terms that we were never familiar with, uh, interagency fusion drills, uh, mass, mass casualty event, uh, or, or even uh, neutralizing a target. You know, we were seeing a, a very, um, uh, those are basic methods of, of sort of introducing language to uh, make us feel as though those who are in control of the, the state or, or those who are, uh, in a sense, sort of, steering these stories um, 
I should say, that they're basically using language as, as that to uh, to shore up the official narrative, to basically make it feel or appear as though those elements are, are being um, uh, justified through this this sort of neuro-linguistic uh, 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 programming or language. Well, you bring up neuro-linguistic programming, and I think along those lines, this is something that this coverage, this type of coverage day in, day out, seemingly so anyway, we know it's not every day exactly, but it's something that tends to normalize crisis to normalize and to get us to accept this police state as something that is just an everyday phenomenon. Yeah, and I think it, it's interesting because just today, actually, uh, you know, before coming on air, I, I noticed I actually had another interview I did this morning, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I hadn't had a chance to really look at the news, but then I see that there's a, a shooting in Davenport, Iowa, around 2 o'clock uh, local time, and at the... Uh, you know, witnesses heard shots fired at a law office located near Armed Forces Career Center, hmm. and then they are, there was another shooting that pa- basically took place uh, um, uh, uh, somewhere else. So then the, the, the victim was fatally shot or w- wounded themselves. That was somewhere but, in Iowa as well. Yeah, yeah. So this is interesting that that no one else was injured, uh, but they basically sort of wrapped this thing up already. And that uh, then I just did a quick search. I mean, literally spent five minutes doing the search, which is just interesting. Sometimes it's it's that easy to actually find some of this information, but I actually found a PDF file that talks about how Davenport schools uh, have been implementing. Um, uh, active new active shooter uh, response program for the school system as well as in their community uh, as of March 30th, 2015. So it's just amazing to me. It doesn't sometimes even take that much to to find some of those information. And that you noted earlier in the report in our interview that we we often see these events coinciding with with uh, active shooter drills, but as, at the same time they're basically um, you know within days or even weeks of each other and sometimes even having events on the very same day as we've noted and it's just amazing to me that uh, here's just another example of, of a community that's being uh, sort of uh, thrust into this sort of active shooter uh, lexicon and uh, basically being pushed into that that sort of uh, spectrum uh, and, and and you know basically the, the event has now wrapped itself up in, in less than 24 hours. Yeah, I think there's just also a tendency amongst mainstream outlets not to really think that far outside of the box uh, in terms of uh, conceiving or suggesting that something might be awry in the way that these tragic events are handled, you know, that they may in fact somehow be staged to a certain degree. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like um, they come up with little neat little slogans like Alice, alert, lockdown, inform, counter, evacuate. You know, these are their these are their program terminology. This is the kind of terminology they use to uh, to uh, activate these emergency communication protocols and other things. Uh, and they have their own codes and own language in terms of how they actually do these uh, you know tactical uh, um, scenarios. We're speaking with Sean Helton of 21st Century Wire here on Truth Frequency Radio on the Real Politic program. You can find more of his work over at 21stCenturyWire.com. We'll have more of our conversation with him in a moment.
Greetings and welcome back to Real Politics. This is James Tracy. We're speaking with Sean Helton of 21st Century Wire and talking about the mass shooter phenomenon and a whole lot of other things as well, but especially that because Sean has done such a great deal of work in terms of writing, reportage, media analysis of these events uh, dating back to really 2014 or so uh, when he became involved more so with 21st Century Wire as an editor and also as a as a contributor when we left off Sean uh, we were talking about you know some of the major reasons that you became involved uh, in the alternative media and uh, and writing about uh, about these things and is is really kind of a a part of of being a more active and engaged citizen. Absolutely, I think uh, to, for me that's that's the most important thing uh, and kind of being self reliant on on many levels, teaching yourself uh, farming techniques, uh, those kinds of things, uh, all these sort of lost arts uh, that are sort of you know fading away into the internet ether. And uh, let's get back to talking about the Oregon uh, shooting at Umpqua Community College. I find this to be a very curious event. We were touching upon it to a certain degree in the first half of the program. Uh, but another thing that you point out in uh, your major report on this for 21st Century Wire is that there were uh, congressional leaders some of whom are from Oregon, who were right there with uh, legislation that appeared to be kind of ready-made after this event. And uh, prior to this event as well, the Oregon governor had signed more stringent gun control legislation into effect. Yeah, it was uh, Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley uh, uh, revealed uh, shortly after the shooting that, uh, in fact, he was related to one of the victims in a very startling coincidence. And, you know, uh, I found it interesting that the first few comments that he made in media were basically, uh, and actually I'm not paraphrasing, this is his actual quote, and I quote, one of the dead is, my, is the great-granddaughter, uh, I'm sorry, um, no one could have envisioned that uh, this could have happened in Roseburg and adding that it was the 45th mass shooting in America so far in 2015. And I found that kind of interesting that he you know, immediately discussed the number of mass shooting events, according to him, in America in the last uh, year. And uh, I found that kind of just strange that he would remark on that in that way, uh, right at sort of the first remark about his own personal loss. And I felt that... Uh, I mean, what 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 depths do you have to sink to in politics in order to push a particular agenda? You know, after you know, even in the face of a personal loss, it's just kind of amazing to me. And you have the president of the United States just within the course of a few hours following this event, going on national television and addressing the nation, saying that we need to politicize this. Uh, Absolutely, invoking yeah. the uh, Australia uh, shooting at Port Arthur, 1995, the shooting that took place about six weeks prior to that event in Dunblane, Scotland, and saying that, hey, uh, these countries, Scotland and Australia, just needed one event. How come we need so many? <laughs> I know. It's amazing to, to, you know, just to spin it right into and nudge it out of the, I'm sorry, nudge it out of the forensic sphere and even uh, tragedy sphere mm -hmm. and into the political sphere. I, I mean, that's just amazing how these events now seemingly just 
uh, are, are being pushed in that manner that basically we have events that occur and that we're no longer, uh, you know, they want to make sure that you feel the information, you know, my personal belief, this is my opinion, that they push in media these talking points and they want you to feel the victim victimization for just a period of time, right? And then as soon as they feel that they're done with pushing that part of the storyline, they move quickly to the political arena as fast as possible and basically closing the feedback loop of, of concerned citizens who might be, who you know, are concerned or even affected by the event. You mentioned this term nudge. And uh, this is something that you also use in that article. And I think it's very significant. It's arguably the operative term here. And it points to their frustration. You know, Cass Sunstein talks about nudging us towards these various types of social programs that are going to, in some way, shape, or form, do us good, right? Uh, are uh, for our own good, I, I should say. And mm -hmm. they're so upset that this takes much more than just a few nudges, that <laughs> these major events have to transpire for them to be able to push this particular type of overtly political agenda by by their own admittance. Absolutely, and I mean, you could even regard, you can even, uh, you know, add to that basically that saying that you know DOJ had uh, um, Eric Holder basically was doing the same thing in 1995 when he was saying that we need to get people thinking differently about guns in America and was on a C-SPAN tape that's still circulating on YouTube uh, to this day, much to their chagrin, I'm sure, um, you know, where he's actively uh, stating something along those lines where he's he's absolutely trying to misdirect or push the public to think in a certain manner to steer in a certain manner so for people to argue the point that we're not being steered in a particular direction i don't think you can really effectively argue that point anymore i think there's just too much evidence to suggest that at the very least these events are being exploited to a very uh, high degree uh anytime that these uh, events now happen and you bring up uh, Eric Holder and his invocation of social engineering from 20 or so years ago. We have to keep in mind as well that this was a key individual, a key figure in the Fast and Furious uh, operation, which you also discuss in your piece. And I believe he is the only individual from a, a sitting administration that has been held in contempt of Congress for withholding information related to that event. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it was just kind of interesting how, you know, you've got an administration now, you know, in the last couple of years, really since Sandy Hook, they've really ramped it up. Of course, we had the Tucson shooting, uh, Jared Loeffner, we had, you know, uh, others, a host of others over the years, and, and there's many that we could even get into. But, uh, you know, really Sandy Hook really sent the, set the benchmark for this particular administration in terms of, of using that as a way to politicize uh, gun rights in America. And I think that when you uh, are looking at the Fast and Furious uh, situation, um, you know, you have, you know, over around a thousand or seven hundred something guns that were recovered in that particular operation. Who knows how many countless uh, others are out there from that particular operation that um, we had a, a program and basically it was essentially a gun walking program where, you know, you know, they're allowing, you know, this stuff to fall in the hands of criminals and other people that uh, could use these weapons uh, against anybody, really, and that uh, we had an administration doing that. Uh, at the same time, they're they're pushing this heavy gun uh, restrictive agenda in America, and I found the irony of that is just 
even though it's such a simple thing to go back to, it's the most uh, simplistic way to really argue the point that this thing is totally being politicized. All right, they're selling, they're pushing and selling guns to criminals in Mexico, right? Those are definitely going to be right. used to commit crimes, to commit murders and so forth, whereas they want to take away the guns from law-abiding citizens here in the United States. That's what it comes right down to. It's Absolutely. the ultimate, yeah. ultimate It just hypocrisy. makes no sense to me in terms of, of if you rationally think about that from, a, from just a, a common sense standpoint. Uh, and I always think it's a good one to throw in an article, even though it's a point that's been made. It's always a really strong point to back any other particular points you might have in diagnosing a, or you know, sort of investigating a mass shooting. No, it's something that should be kept in the forefront. I, I, I certainly do agree. Now, this, uh, the Oregon uh, shooting, I wanted to stay on this for a little bit longer because mm -hmm. it, they're just, it, it's so rich in terms yeah. of analysis. There's stuff that it seems as if they're just becoming more and more outrageous pushing the envelope that much more, raising or rather expanding the Overton window, however one w wishes to actually explain this or interpret this, but it's like, how far can they go? They got the media, the mainstream journalistic outlets on their side, pushing the story, not asking questions or anything. I guess there's no limit. No, yeah. I mean, you, you, you've touched on a good point there. And I think uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, I found most striking during this whole Oregon shooting was the fact that Laurel Margaret Harper, uh, the shooter's mother, uh, you know, Christopher Mer Harper Mer Mercer, uh, you know, you have, uh, she had been stockpiling weapons because she feared stricter gun laws. Of course, okay, they had that little talking point. Uh, and then, you know, they moved from that to that she posted uh, under an avatar named Tweety Bird, but had three, 33,000 posts of some sort. And that basically, uh, you know, it fits into that whole trial by social media formula that we've outlined in other reports that basically if you post on things or that people are posting things, they immediately convict the person who's allegedly accused of posting these, this information. And I always find that really interesting that we don't even have uh, a, a trial anymore. It's really more conviction by social media, actually. Yeah. We should probably change that uh, uh, statement. But at any rate, uh, the interesting part there is I found that the mom was apparently from Heavy.com reports that basically uh, probably the strangest information about this organ shooting to date was that she allegedly read Donald Trump's best-selling book, Art of the Deal, to her <laughs> son aloud while she was pregnant, and that Mercer, as he grew up, grew older, began turning a profit on the investment market through, uh, through uh, you know, the way that she was teaching him through the gesture effect. So it's just, from a PR perspective, I found this really strange because, you know, you had two served purposes there that, you know, frontrunner Trump was basically maligned again in the media, and even if it was in a subtle way and no one really picked up on it, and then you're planting the association with an apparently deranged uh, killer. So it just served, a, it was sort of a one-two punch from Heavy.com on that particular quote. So uh, Christopher Harper Mercer was influenced uh, in utero uh, by that, That's what Trump. they're saying, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it, the, the quote is just amazing. It's, uh, I'll read it here for you. Uh, these, these two activities, uh, I'm sorry, the passage from Heavy.com reads, these two activities help develop language skills and may help develop other skills as well. Uh, this is apparently from the mother. Uh, before my, my son was even born, I was reading aloud to him from Donald Trump's Art of the Deal. 
and as for the gesture effect, that was practically a, a mime. And you know, now my son invests in the stock market along with me and turns a profit and working to a, on a degree in finance. So it's just it's just amazing to me that you know you have something to that effect uh, in a report, and they just drop that little little bombshell. And uh, you know, no one else I don't think really picked up on that part of the storyline. But and maybe other astu- uh, investigators have at this point, but it, it wasn't really picked up by any other mainstream outlets. And I found that just incredibly hard to believe. Uh, part of the storyline that that you know she's reading from Art of the Deal and they somehow tied that into this Oregon shooting is uh, unbelievable actually it's amazing uh and uh i was going to say you can't uh dream this stuff uh or make this stuff up but uh, someone is <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly uh, they're very creative actually sometimes this was definitely one of the more creative ones another strange observation i noticed though was they have a video of a next door neighbor that knew harper mercer and lived at the apartment complex and it was just a short video that appeared on a, a major uh, news outlet that uh he was basically stating that he had seen an unknown man with Harper Mercer in the days or weeks prior to the UCC incident, which I found kind of interesting. And then, of course, there's always the autistic or Asperger's element to these, uh, very often to these shooting events also. Well, Jared Loeffner, uh, back in January of 2011, he had a handler as well. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and yet all of a sudden that just, just sort of, you know, spliced out, edited out of the picture and it's not brought up again. You say very similar things about other uh, types of uh, events along these lines. Uh, the, 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 some of the most important aspects are just not focused on and not uh, not not followed up on, and that's that's very uh, that's very telling. Uh, it's very unfortunate, I think, for for the broader public and for uh, for a journalism that calls itself such. So. Um, some of these other events as well, uh, for example, the event uh, back in August of uh, 2015, the uh, on-camera slaying of the WDBJ uh, journalists. You bring up uh, the matter of social media and being convicted on social media, and I would add being convicted in the uh, in, in the court of public opinion more broadly, mm-hmm. right? But through the mm-hmm. the wide scale exposure of this of these alleged social media posts on Twitter or on uh, on Facebook, but how can we actually verify whether or not these accounts did belong to these people in question? I think is the broader question: Is that actually being done? Is the forensic evidence that's being brought forth to verify? whether or not uh, these electronic postings uh, can be traced uh, to these individuals. It's just so murky and we're never really, the public has never really actually given that information. Uh, and you could say the same thing about with this, uh, this shooting back in August of 2015, this alleged shooting, uh, by Vester Flanagan. And uh, we mm-hmm. never, we never even see the guy. Uh, there's a white hand in the uh, in the alleged video that he took of the execution. Uh, mm-hmm. There, there are no uh, shell casings exiting the the pistol itself. Uh, it looks as if uh, a uh, blanks are being fired. Yeah, absolutely. I felt the same way. Uh, Patrick actually covered this part of the story pretty in-depth uh, for this particular shooting, but I did pay attention uh, to the details coming out about this event, and um, I did use some of that in this Oregon report just because I found it interesting that, uh, you know, you have 
um, you know, the alleged uh, secret boyfriend of, of, of the reporter, you know, immediately bringing out these uh, photo albums and, you know, and, and getting these sort of funds donated and all that on national TV in less than 48 hours. And it's sort of like, wait, wait, we don't, we haven't even, I, I just don't, I can't even begin. I, I feel like a real, I know that we had real investigators out there before. And I know that when Sandy Hook was being uh, uh, thoroughly investigated. I know there were some law enforcement agents uh, even looking into the event themselves. Uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but there was somebody fairly prominent who was actually um, uh, investigating it because he didn't believe the event uh, to be as uh, the official narrative. And I think anybody who would be worth their salt in the law enforcement field uh, would want to look at these events a little bit more clearly, I feel like. I, I, I'm just kind of surprised that they're able to wrap these cases up with so many bizarre forensic anomalies in a case. Like, wouldn't you want to establish a proper motive before releasing that to the public and uh, creating all this kind of hysteria? Uh, I think it's really a, a poor job on mainstream media to sort of push this angle without actually getting, uh, making sure that facts are correct, as we may, as we stated earlier in the interview, that you know, you know, pushing all these different details about however, however many victims are out there. I mean, you could really set a panic for people if, if that number were to be, say, in the hundreds or even in the thousands, uh, you know. And let's say it turned out to be 50. Uh, I think that that would be a huge problem in terms of reporting and how its its effect psychologically on the public would uh, also induce, I think inappropriately uh, a level of, of a potential depression or even other things that, that, that others might be uh, upset by or even uh, shocked by. Now, I, I know I say that, but I think that there are also, also a lot of people who basically will not uh, be affected by these events because they're becoming desensitized to them. So there's a, there's a, a mixture of things going on here. As, as you've discussed, I know that Patrick's discussed, there's sort of a primordial soup uh, of, of different things happening here. But I couldn't believe that event, and I definitely thought that those were blanks in that particular sh uh, shooting. Um, it just didn't make sense to me. It just the way that the, there was barely any recoil. It was, uh, uh, you know, you're looking for different um, forensic things when you're looking at those types of things. So, um, you know, if at all there was any recoil, I don't think there even was. I, I, that was the interesting thing. But, um, you know, so you bring up some good points there with, with the Roanoke shooting there, and I think that that was something that definitely uh, was, uh, you know, immediately the donation funds and things like that are on, on national TV, and, and we're supposed to sort of believe that as, you know, and I, and I say this in the greatest respect to those who may have died, mm -hmm. but here's the thing, you know, I just find it really hard to believe that they could have done a proper investigation in that short amount of time and figured out a motive in that crime. And you bring up the, the donation sites. Uh, if, if you or I were to lose a loved one, uh, would it be our immediate or close to immediate impulse to run to GoFundMe or, you know, whatever other site they, they use and uh, to set up a site for donations? That might come several days later. But it wouldn't come immediately. And, you know, I, I bring this up in part because I did some research on the Boston Marathon bombing. You know, they had the One Fun Boston set up the following day, April mm. 16th, that was mm -hmm. set up, incorporated, ready to go. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, yeah, in some cases it is less than 24 hours. I know that in the uh, UCC shooting in Oregon, the same, similar effect. I mean, basically... There was a, a United Way fund fund that, that uh, paired with Umpqua, Umpqua uh, 
a local Umpqua bank branch, and they had already set up a fund in less than 24 hours or something to that effect. And I thought, isn't there a lot of paperwork to be done with all this stuff? I mean, you're, you're talking about financial uh, arrangement between a charity organization and a bank. Uh, wouldn't there have to be, I mean, I know a little bit about the housing world, and I know there's tons of financial documents and things of that nature that need to go back and forth and, right. uh, you know, verification of certain things. And, I mean, you can't just establish that in less than 24 hours. It's unbelievable. Not unless there's some sort of uh, preparation in advance. And maybe they, Absolutely. Got some, yeah. they may have got some assistance from their friends over there at the Ford Family Foundation, which incidentally <laughs> right. has its headquarters in Roseburg, Oregon, and knows all about the philanthropy, the charity industry. Uh, we've got a few minutes left, uh, Sean Helton. I wanted to discuss as well briefly the Nashville theater shooting. This is another article that you uh, wrote on back in uh, August of 2015. And uh, you point out, among other things, how there are so many agencies that were on the scene, local, regional, federal, uh, in that really, really strange event uh, where there was a, a man in a theater with a hatchet. He first was identified as someone who was 51 years old, and all of a sudden he lost 22 years of age, and he <laughs> was 29 years old. He looks like he's in his early to mid-40s by the photographs. Right. Uh, but one of the, you know, th there are all sorts of, this is just another event that we could go into and probably talk about for another half hour or so. But one of the things that, that stuck out for me was the fact that there are so many agencies involved uh, in this particular event. We touched upon it earlier, and it's something that I also, uh, it's kind of a, a main theme in the most recent article that I wrote when uh, mass shootings were real. Yeah, I, I don't have that particular, these these events are occurring so quickly. I don't have all the uh, stuff fresh in my mind from that particular one, but of sure. course I remember the, the, the basic details. But yeah, the, the interesting thing about that Nashville shooting, as you remarked, was you had a you had a gun or you had a hatchet or you had a hoax device strapped to him that you know apparently it could be detonated and it just you know they eventually figured out it was a hoax bomb or whatever and it's just sort of I, I just found the whole thing such a strange uh, it was one of those quick reports because for me it really just undid itself because it was so poorly scripted in a way it just seemed so uh, you know out of left field in terms of all the information and then this guy's going to see Mad Max and then shows up with a hatchet or something I, you know it just was very bizarre and then you noted the, the the agencies that were there and there were there were there I think there were several hundred people there and of course they wouldn't let anyone within like a hundred yards of the uh, or so of the uh, 50 yards or so of the of the theater so it was kind of like you know, no one even knows what event occurred because there really wasn't a lot of uh, great eyewitness testimony. Of course, there was somebody saying it was an older man, and of course, it became the younger man, as you mentioned. And uh, you know, and that's another common theme now. And I, Patrick, and I have noticed this, and I think this is a really important thing for listeners to understand, or anyone who's looking at these events, is that in the first. 24 hours of, or 48 hours after these events, they're now using the strategy in media and mainstream media to uh, disseminate information about a particular shooter, maybe potentially mention that they are not going to say who the shooter's name is or the victim's names, but now they're releasing them in a shorter period of time than they claim. And I think they're trying to throw those of us who analyze this information off balance and that they're also throwing out different ages so that when we report some of, some of this stuff that we're actually getting some of that 
those details wrong because they say, oh, well, look, you got that detail wrong. You didn't even get his age right. You know, so I think that there's some of this stuff is now in a way being kind of purposely fed through media. And I could be totally wrong, but this is just my opinion. I think that some of this information is actually being pushed purposely through media to to steer us uh, down a, a pathway that leads to disinformation or, or at least some confusion of information. And it could be something that they're also monitoring, find out how quickly this stuff is analyzed, uh, mm -hmm. the extent to which it's fact-checked, and uh, I'm talking about the alternative media specifically. But along those lines, you know, why do you think it is that uh, there are even some alternative outlets today uh, alternative news outlets call itself call themselves such um, that are actually reporting these events as if they are uh, real, as if they are in fact taking place, without questioning them, without actually you know stepping back and saying what's really going on here. You would expect for some of these outlets to be more critical, more analytical, and it's disappointing that sometimes that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what particular outlet you're speaking of, but I've definitely seen uh, some major ones out there that, uh, you know, and one in particular that seems to sort of gloss over these kinds of events now, where they used to maybe even dig into them a little bit, had a little more teeth to their articles on on some of these reports, but now they're they're much happier than to just republish a, a basic report uh, from mainstream media about some of these events and then call it a day, and then maybe comment on it in the radio show and maybe you know suggest that there could be other things that have happened here but basically no real critical analysis uh, nothing that would be considered a, a, a any kind of real deductive reasoning in terms of uh, explaining what might have happened and in some cases uh, one could argue that they're actually reinforcing uh, the official narrative in certain yeah, respects. For, yeah, yeah. I think you're right on that. I think that that's probably true in some cases. Uh, you know, you, it's again, it's very, it's a very dodgy thing. You can't really say for sure per se, but you definitely get the feeling that they're uh, that they're being steered away from certain things to discuss them at any critical or any great length. Well, Sean Helton, it's been a fascinating conversation. I'm sorry that we're out of time, but we'll definitely have to have you back to talk more about this. I'd love to, James. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Okay. Our guest, Sean Helton of 21st Century Wire, 21stCenturyWire.com. You can find out more about his work and read uh, what he's been doing. This is James Tracy here on Real Politic on Truth Frequency Radio, TruthFrequencyRadio.com. Thanks very much to, for tuning in. Until next week, take care. Bye-bye. Agreements! -bye.